Pray with me. Lord, I'm here again, separated from my friends because of the cacophony all around us. Natural and moral evil swirl. And we need help and direction from you. Lord, as we open your book and read your words, I ask that you would use your words to make yourself known. That we would understand all the more our relationship with God, that we would be invigorated by what this says about our relationship with you and your involvement in this world. Make yourself look glorious and give us peace and joy as we read. Please speak through me as I preach. Amen. Sometimes, or most of the time, we need help with how to pray. What words are appropriate? What do I say? How do I effectively communicate the breaking in my soul? Perhaps like me, the last three months have put your mind in a stupor. And the exacerbated brokenness evidenced the last couple weeks has grieved you. And you long for all things to be made new, but while you wait, you don't know how to pray, so you need some help. The Psalms, unlike any other book of Scripture, seems to lend itself to helping us to pray. You can take these words and use them as training wheels and give them back to God as ways of communicating. We can use the Psalms to speak to our souls and then turn and use their language to speak to God. This morning we have the opportunity to hear the prayers of David, the song of David. And my prayer is that together we can pray with the words of David. We can say, the thirst of my soul is quenched in God alone. That we could pray along with David and say, the thirst of my soul is quenched in God alone. Psalm 63 starts this way. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. This is a psalm of David, the king of Israel, and he is in the wilderness. Why is he in the wilderness? The king should be in the city. The king should be in the palace. The king should be on his throne. The king should be close to the presence of the Lord, the tabernacle. Why is he in the wilderness? Because the world is broken. Because the curse abounds. Because sin still wields its ugly head. Because we long for justice to be enacted. 2 Samuel 15-17 through 17 tells the story of why David is in the wilderness. His son Absalom decided he liked the idea that he could be the ruler, that he could mete out the tasks and the actions and the justices of the king. He decided he would like to be known as the king, even though David... The one God had chosen and established as king was still ruling. Absalom, his son, conspires against him. He brings some men to his side, into his confidence, and he begins to build a following. He starts a whisper campaign and sets up means of pulling influence and allegiance and relationship. And eventually, with treacherous intent, his conspiratorial campaign woos the hearts of the people of Israel. And he makes his way to Jerusalem to initiate a coup d'etat. In verse 13 of chapter 15, 
It says, And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. And David decides for the good of the city to go, so that the city would not be attacked in order to find and kill David, the king. So they get ready and they leave dejected and heartbroken. And the priests decide to get the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, the physical manifestation of the presence of God and go with David, the rightful king. In verse 24, And Abiathar came, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back. And let me see it both, it and his dwelling place. And I can't stress this enough. David would love to have the ark of God with him. He would love to have the central place of worship with him as he goes into isolation, into the wilderness. But he faithfully sends it back to the city. And he puts his hope and his confidence on God, the God of promises and covenants. Verse 30, but David went up, to the ascent, uh, up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Ahithophel was a counselor to David, a trusted friend and help an advisor, and he had just been informed that he had been betrayed. A friend had become a traitor. A counselor had become a conspirator, treachery in route to the wilderness. Now, if you were to walk out of the city of Jerusalem and head east into the wilderness, as soon as you leave the city walls, you begin to walk down into the Kidron Valley. And then in just a few moments, you start walking up the Mount of Olives, And after a while, you can turn around and see the city of Jerusalem on its hill. From there, David could see his house, his home. He can see the glorious high point where the temple would be built, where the ark of God would remain. He could see the houses of his people, the tops of the roofs and the outlines of the markets. He could see the walls. He could see it all. He could see all the places that would make his heart say, that is where I belong. And then he had to turn toward the east and drop over the hill and see his city disappear behind him. And he walked into the wilderness, a place of exile, a place of longing, a place of discomfort, a place of uncertainty, a place of isolation, a place of betrayal, a place of thinking, is everything going to be okay? And in the wilderness, David pens this psalm. And starts by praying in the first section, praying towards the end of God, you are the end of my seeking. In verse 1, David prays, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, 
So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. David prays, O God, you are my God. I will look for you with earnestness, with urgency, as necessity, like I look for nothing else, even while he sits in loss. David prays to God that he is the one that David seeks. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David is in the metaphorical wilderness, exiled from his people, driven from his home, isolated from the sanctuary. And he is also in the literal wilderness. He is surrounded by the arid and rough landscape, the harsh ground where there is no water, where shade is sparse and the terrain is unwelcoming. And David leans into the language of his surroundings to describe the status of his soul, of his person, mind, body, and spirit. Have you ever gone on a long, hot hike and ran out of water or drank it too fast? Your mouth dries out. Your legs don't want to walk anymore. Your feet begin to plod along in heavy footfalls. Your flesh faints and gives way. Your whole body begins to think about one thing. I just want some water. I just want a small amount to touch my tongue and soothe my throat. I just want to take that drink of cool refreshment that creates a sense of relief in my entire body. And as David sits under the same sun, with that wilderness under his feet and that longing for water ever present, he prays, my soul thirsts for you, God. Just like my body longs for water when I'm in the wilderness, my flesh faints for you, God. Just like my flesh needs water in this arid and harsh place, I need God like I need water. Nothing else satisfies like God. Nothing else but God alone can meet the thirst of my soul. Nothing else. He continues, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. David hearkens back to the sanctuary where the ark of God is, the thing he left behind. Where the presence of God is known, where God says, I am here to be with my people. David has seen God's power demonstrated in the sanctuary and in his life. David has beheld the glory of God in the sanctuary and among his people. And you can almost see him close his eyes. As he prays, asking, I want to worship with your people. I want to go back where we together worship God. I want to go back. I long to be in that place. When I am out in the wilderness, I know, I know that God's power is at work. I know his glory has not diminished. It is a cognitive fact in my mind. But when I am with his people... It is an obvious reality. I know that, the, that God has power and glory when I sit on my couch, when I watch a screen, but it is obvious when this room is shaking with the singing of God's people. When there is no delay in good news because it requires a Zoom call, 
or a returned phone call, when the community of God is together and we say to each other, you have got to hear how God has interjected into my life or my friend's life or my family's life. You don't know who God just saved. I need you to know how God has provided or healed. I have looked and I have beheld your power and glory. Ponder the power and glory of God when you are in the wilderness. Remind yourself with the last time he worked and showed his good and gracious character. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. God is a promise-making God. A covenant-making God. A covenant-keeping God. God's love is a steadfast love because God says, this is what I shall do, and nothing can keep His hands from accomplishing it. His love is steadfast. His kindness is stable. His loyalty is steady. And His power to accomplish is unassailable. The steadfast love of God is a decision to do something for you. And David knows the steadfast love that the Lord has proclaimed. Because he, his is the God who said, I will be your God and you will be my people. His is the God who said, through Abraham's offspring, all nations will be blessed. His is the God who told him, David himself, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body, I will establish his kingdom. I, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And those promises are ringing in the ears of David. That steadfast love is resounding in his bones. And he says, that is better than life. He says, give me the promises of God before any life I can muster. Give me the love of God, the steadfast love that is better than life. We base our lives on such silly things. Such small things, such pitiful things. If I can just live for the weekend, not having to work as hard, sit on the couch, shove my face with all the treats, watch all the shows, that's the good life. Therein lies satisfaction. Maybe you engaged that fever dream in the last couple months and realize it is empty and it quenches no thirst. Or perhaps you say, if I have success and accomplishment, then the thirst in my soul will be met and I will have satisfaction. My soul will be at rest. Have you climbed that hill? It's still empty there. If I put a family together, if, if, if our family is put together, if we have good relationships, if everyone is happy with me, then my soul will be at peace. There is, that's the water in the desert. Is it? My soul has more thirst than that. David had the life of a king, and he prays and proclaims the love of God is better than life. If you pit the promises of God against anything, I will choose the promises of God every time. 
the creator God, the redeeming God, the God who is loved by ultimately and completely giving us himself. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, you will be heirs with Christ, sons of God. That steadfast love is better than life. And because of that, my lips will praise you. That's what David says. That's what we can pray along with David. Why do you think we sing? Why do you think we sing? Even in our stinking living rooms, all alone. We have to sing. We have the promises. We have the steadfast love of God. We must sing. We must proclaim His majesty and power and glory. His steadfast love is better than life. We, along with David, have been given promises by the steadfast, loving God. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. As long as there is a beat to my heart and breath in my lungs, I will bless the name of the Lord. God, Yahweh, the God of creation and redemption, the God of salvation and restoration, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of David. My words will heap honor and glory and praise and adulation and thanks on that name in the name of God. I will lift up my hands showing that I want God. I want to be connected to God. I want even my physical motion to proclaim that I am connected to the Lord. Because He is the end of all my seeking. I need Him like I need water. The thirst of my soul is satisfied in God alone. David continues to pray, telling God, You are my satisfaction and security. In verse 5, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David prays, And proclaims that his soul will be satisfied. His soul is satiated. The thirst of his soul is slacked. Not just enough. Not a fair amount, but I could use a little more. Not like a sub-quality cheeseburger that gives you a temporary satisfaction, but you are ready to eat soon after. This is the rich food. The food of kings. The fat and the marrow of the meat and the bone the richness of sauces and umami, the spices and all the richness put together in proper proportion before you. The type of food that invites feasting. The type of food that brings a sense of joy and community around a table. And you eat and are satisfied. Deep in the bones, satisfied. Big exhale of breath, satisfied. Push your seat back and just thank God that the food is created by Him to be enjoyable. That kind of satisfied. Friends, the soul is not minimally satisfied in God. The soul is not nominally satiated in God. God does not partially remedy the need in your soul. God is not a compromise God is not a substitute. Everything else is a substitute. Everything else says, I can satisfy you. 
Those are the things that are trying to be a substitute for God. Your soul needs God. Your soul longs for satisfaction, and that satisfaction is only found in God. If you know God, you know this is true, and this prayer aligns you with reality. And if you do not know God, friend, you have been looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. The soul can breathe easy with God. When the soul is satisfied in God, the mouth sings, the lips have joy on them. David says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. David ponders this while he lies on his bed. When the watches of the night are passed from one man to another, one soldier to another, they are on the run. They are out unprotected in the wilderness. It would make sense that someone keeps guard throughout the night to make sure that no army sneak up and massacre them. No enemy extinguish them. And as he rested in his bed, hearing the guards switch at two in the morning, And three in the morning, before the sun crests the horizon and all danger is exposed to the light, he had opportunity to meditate throughout the night. And he could fill his mind with fear and uncertainty, or he could turn his soul and his heart to God. This may be obvious, but dwelling on fear will not satisfy you. Dwell on the one who can expel fear. Meditating on worry will not bring you rest. Meditate on the one who is the God of peace. What keeps you up at night? What has you looking at the clock or puts the tightness in your chest? What do you have opportunity to remember when you lie on your bed? What makes your mind race? Is it a family that is broken? a health scare that you can't pull away from, a financial uncertainty that demands attention, a relationship that is wounded? Do you just feel that the world is broken? And the quietness of the middle of the night is opportunity for the noise of its brokenness to make itself known and ring in your ears? When given the opportunity to fear or panic, despair, or worry, pray with David in the watches of the night. He prays, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. In the watches of the night as he lies on his bed, David prays out of memory, God, you have been my help. You you have gone before me in times past. You have protected me. You were there with Goliath. You were there when I was being chased by Saul. You were there when I was in the wilderness the last time and the time before that. And when I was among my enemies, David uses his memory to remind himself that God has been his hope and God will be his hope. And in his presence, he will sing for joy. You know, one of the things you need most in the wilderness is shade. It is a reprieve something that can take the brunt of the radiant heat of the sun so you don't need to endure it. As he uses the language of his literal surrounding, he says God is that protection. 
And you can sing for joy in the shade. You can rest in the shade. You can breathe in the shade. You have been my help. I have sat under the shadow of your wings. I don't know if he had trouble remembering the times that God had been his hope in the past, but I know that sometimes I do. My situation is close here. I see it here. And it takes work to pull back and see how God has acted before. If you are praying this along with David, ask the Spirit to show you how God has helped. I want to remember the shade of the past. I want to feel the shade in the present. David continues his prayer. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. God is satisfaction and security to David. His soul clings. This speaks of necessity. Have you ever held a young child who is afraid, perhaps of a stranger's pet or, or just a scary situation? You cannot put them down. You cannot peel them off of you. They cling to you. They need you to continue holding them. You make them tall. You make them strong. You make them able to withstand against the clear and present danger. David's very soul clings to God. Relationship with God is not a game. It is not a hobby. It is not a nicety. It is not a take-it-or-leave-it proposition. The violent storm of this clearly broken world is crashing all around us. The curse of sin is large and tumultuous. This prayer says, I will lash my heart to the ancient mast because my connection with God is the only thing that will sail these seas. You are the only thing that holds me up, God. You are the only thing that keeps me walking. David needed God. David clung to God. Friend, you need God. Pray with David. Your soul clings to God. The security of my soul is in God alone. The thirst of my soul is satisfied in God alone. David continues to pray in verse 9. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. David prays to God, knowing who that God is, knowing that God is a God of justice, that God is a God who would bring righteousness, that God named himself in Exodus, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. David is the rightful, anointed king, driven from his city and his throne by conspiring liars and criminals. He is in the wilderness because of these fools. And he prays to the God of justice, knowing that his character will not fail. He will make right the wrongs. Those who seek to destroy David, those who desire to put him in the ground, they will be put in the ground. The tables will turn. Their success is not permanent. 
Those who live by their terrible swords, wielding evil, curses, and brokenness, will have the sword turned on them. The Hebrew holds the idea that they will be poured out by the sword. David prays with the certainty that treachery does not win the day. No one has ever pulled one over on God. No one has ever overcome the final outcomes of the promises of God. In fact, they who try shall be the portion of jackals. Those animals that scrounge the wilderness, picking the bones of the helpless and expired. The ones who attack the disadvantaged and prey on the needy. The jackals will be the portion of jackals. The tables will turn. But the king, who's the king? King David. In this phrase, it is striking. As I read the story of Absalom and the treachery that David endured, the story often refers to David as the king. And in the context of a story where a kingship is being challenged with an attempted override, the marker, the king, seems to pop off the page as though to say, the king had to flee. Who's the real king? David. The king had to go to the wilderness. Who is the real king? David. The king weeps on the Mount of Olives. Who is the real king? David. And David goes with this language. But the king shall rejoice in God. The true king, the one who sits in the wilderness, away from his home, he shall rejoice in God. He will sing joyfully because of God. In fact, not just David, all who swear by him shall exalt. All who attach themselves to the name of God shall rejoice. All those who can say, I belong to God. I am with the promise-making, covenant-keeping God. Connect me with his name. There is joy for those who are connected to God. Connected to Yahweh, Elohim, God above all gods. Because God is a just God who will shut the mouths of liars. David had his counselor and his son as liars who had been out to manipulate and conspire. And he had a certain hope founded on the truth that liars do not prosper. Liars do not, in the end, win. The mouths of all liars will be stopped. Everyone who mimics the father of lies, the devil, will be shut up. And their patriarch will one day have his mouths closed for good. The great liar who said, there is another way to be satisfied aside from God. Another way other than God. Lies. And see what those lies have produced all around us. We experience the result of those lies every day. And that is why there is hope that the mouths of liars will be stopped. And friends, there is hope here. These are words to pray. God will silence your enemies. God will silence his enemies. God will not allow injustice to rule the day. God will not allow lies flouted every day to be spouted for all time. God will not allow brokenness to define his creation. God will not allow schisms to define the relationships of humanity and neighbors. One day, the God we follow will mend all brokenness. One day, God will right all wrongs. God will make all things new. He will enact justice 
rightly and firmly. He will establish righteousness and eradicate the curse. The curse that is all too evident in our broken hearts and the curse that rears its ugly head all around us. We long for the coming king of justice and we are the church, the proclaimers and participants in the kingdom of the king. We must pray and we must walk as those who have a participatory role in the kingdom, the coming kingdom. Do we repent as those who have broken hearts that need the regeneration of God? Yes. Do we engage as reconcilers, bringing people back together? Yes. Do we pray as those who, who are connected to the one who will right all wrongs? Yes. Do we speak truth into the face of lies? Yes. Knowing that one day we won't have to battle lies anymore. We should not be satisfied with how this world is functioning. Things are not good enough in this world. There is no satisfaction in the wilderness. We need a hope that reminds us that the enemies will get their portion. The enemies will get their due. Justice will come. Lies will be extinguished. There is hope, confidence in being connected to the God that will bring that about. We pray with David thus, God, you are the end of my seeking. You are my satisfaction and security. You will silence my enemies. The thirst of my soul is quenched in God alone. John 4 tells the story of a lady who came to a well of her town. The same well that she came to every day to get water to quench her thirst. On a particular day, she came with her bucket and she was ready to get water to draw it up out of the well. And a man by the well said, give me a drink. The woman questioned him that he, he would even talk to her. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus echoes and fulfills the language used by David. And Jesus says, I know your soul is thirsty. I know your soul longs for something that will satisfy like your body needs water every day. I am the one who satisfies your soul. I am the one that satiates every longing you try to fill with empty things, little things, and little people. Nothing can quench the thirst that is present when you lack the God of all creation. Jesus, the Son of God, will satisfy your soul. Run to Him, pray to Him, and when you don't know how to pray, when you don't know the words to speak to Him, pray the words of David. Lean into Him. The counterfeits are legion. The things that would take his place are many. Run to the one who will actually satisfy your soul. Lean into his community. Connect with his people as we, get, as we walk together toward the day when the enemies will be silenced. And all will be made new and our souls will never experience thirst again. Because the thirst of our souls are quenched by God alone.
and quenched by God alone forevermore. This morning, we have the privilege and grace of remembering together communion. The Lord's Supper, the elements instituted for us to take and use as a means of remembering the life-sacrificing work of Jesus, the work that He did on the cross so that He could connect us to Himself, the work He did so He could forgive and redeem broken people and satisfy our souls in Him. It is a means of reminding us of His death and of His resurrected life and of His imminent return. I'll read from the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians as we take this together. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord, even as the taste of these elements rests on our tongues, we are reminded that our thirst is quenched in you alone. Lord, give us a deep and abiding realization that you are the satisfaction of our souls. Whether we find ourselves sitting in comfort or in the wilderness, whether we sleep soundly or we can count the watches of the night, give us a deep contentment in our connection with you. May it sit far above our external circumstances and difficulties. May it inform and invigorate our prayers. Help us to grieve the presence of injustice and sin, not as those who despair, but as those who know the King who will make all things right. Allow us to live and move and act in ways that point to you as our satisfaction. By the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen.